APU. American Public University is proud to present the following podcast. Welcome to today's audio podcast here at American Public University System. And my name is Dr. Bjorn Mercer, and here at the Everyday Scholar, we're going to be talking to Tiffany Orchesi and Dr. Michael Pataro about teaching in the prison systems. And welcome, Tiffany. Thank you. I'm pleased to be here, and I appreciate the opportunity to speak. Excellent. And welcome, uh, Dr. Michael Pataro. Thank you. I feel the same way. Excellent. So the first question to get us started is, how did you get involved in corrections and in teaching at the prisons? And Tiffany, if you don't mind starting. Sure. Thank you. I guess I live in upstate New York, an hour north of Syracuse, and I am an adjunct professor at the local community college for SUNY Jefferson Community College. And the gentleman that sets up all my online and teleconferencing classes started bugging me about two years ago to start teaching in the prison. And initially, I was against the idea. I watched many of my students. They are often struggling to pay for a college, working two to three jobs. And I thought to myself, I'm not going to reward prisoners. And some of it also, my background, I was in the Army. I was a military police officer. And so I felt like this kind of went against my grain. However, I was encouraged to talk to another female fellow professor who taught psychology in the prisons, and she gave me a very positive outlook. So I agreed to teach. But the biggest selling point for me was, and many people don't realize it, is this was not being taught on taxpayers' money. The program's out of New York City, actually out of the Manhattan's DA office, and it's called the Criminal Justice Investment Initiative, the CJII. The program funds forfeiture funds from the international banking crisis, which occurred around the 2008-2009 timeframe. And the program focuses mostly on youth, family, and communities, but there is a portion that goes to the college and prison reentry program. So that was the biggest selling point for me was nobody's paying for this. This is basically repossessed money from crimes. And so it's kind of a do-good win-win for everybody. So that is how I initially got into teaching at the local correctional facilities. Excellent. Thank you, Tiffany. And Michael, how did you get into teaching? Oh, let's see. We're going to go all the way back to 1989. (laughs) And I actually started out in corrections as an officer right upon graduating with my undergraduate degree in criminal justice. And I had a really good career in corrections because I was able to kind of go back and forth between security and rehabilitation or treatment. So probably a few years into the position, I became treatment director and I oversaw our education program along with recreation, psychological programming, medical department, and so forth. So it gave me a firsthand look to what's going on within our education within the prison system and to focus on the courses and the preparation for those programs with the inmates. Most of it was English as a second language, obtaining your GED, and then we kind of advanced from that point forward. Excellent. Thank you. And so for both of you, Michael, if you can answer this one first, what is the most challenging aspect of teaching in the prison or you know, teaching in, in a correctional facility? Oh, there's a few challenges. I think for one, security always takes precedence. So if something were to occur within the prison, the prison typically shuts down or locks down as they refer to it. So education, you know, and all other programs are kind of halted at that particular moment. 
I think the other part of it is the challenge is making sure that the prisoners who are involved in the programs actually want to be there. There's a difference between wanting to better yourself and those that are kind of forced into it as part of their sentence from the judge. And you're dealing with grown individuals, you know, adults, men and women. And I think a lot of them still have little maturity issues, self-control issues. So once you kind of get past that and the teacher can kind of uh, regain some control over the classroom, I think things flow smoothly from that point forward. I think things have changed as well. When I started in the late 80s, the officers and a lot of the staff members really weren't receptive to having any type of educational program or any type of rehabilitation program for that matter. So, but now you look at it, it's different. Now you see officers and staff and administrators that are definitely in favor of education because education is a protective factor. Those without any formal education tend to struggle in society. Those without any formal education and a criminal record tend to struggle even more. So this is definitely something that works to better them and help them in preparing for re-entry into the community. Excellent. And I'm glad you brought up so many excellent points. One of them is it's hard to imagine in the 80s, and I remember the 80s, that education would not be a forefront of prisoner life because you want these people to serve their time, get out, and be productive citizens then. And I'm glad that over the last few decades, an attitude has changed. Absolutely. There's a huge attitude adjustment. I think you know, it's apples and oranges. In the 80s and 90s, we were get tough on crime, lock them up, throw away the key type of mentality. So it was all about locking them up in security and even convincing taxpayers that we're going to implement some type of rehabilitative programs. That didn't go over well. Everyone just wanted individuals who committed crimes to be removed from society, locked up, and then basically forgotten from that point forward. They didn't look at the fact that over 90% of those individuals will eventually come out of prison and return to their neighborhoods. Exactly. And uh, Tiffany, what was your experience? I guess I had, as I reflected and took down notes, four major challenges that I faced when teaching in the prison. And initially, the biggest one that I found very interesting was I had to go back to old school teaching. There was no smart boards. There was no computer. There was no fancy projector, anything. It was basically a chalkboard and an old school overhead projector. So ironically, you wouldn't think it was that hard to come up and make the old flimsy plastic slides, but that actually was a challenge because most printers won't make them today. So that became a challenge, just printing off my slides. And then along with that, I was going to have anywhere from 25 to 30 prisoners in a room. There was no correction officer in there with me. It was just a room with windows on the side as the COs walked by. So I had to realize that it was just me and myself, and I had to wrap my head around that a little bit. And once I was able to see the environment I was going to teach in when I did some pre-teaching where I went in and saw what the environment was going to be like, everything was fine. But the other thing that was very bizarre for me is I've never had someone go through and check all my material, every single slide, every single news article I wanted to talk about because I teach political science. So I get a lot of my information current off the news. And so that was very bizarre where I had to send all my slides ahead of time. Any current event I wanted to talk about, I had to send to the educational director there. And then I had to realize that some of the stories that maybe I shared or talked about in a regular classroom environment might be either personal or inappropriate for that environment. 
And so I had to kind of realize how I taught things might be a little bit different or simple things. Like a lot of times I like to share stories about myself or things that occurred in my life or around myself. And I had to realize that that was not always a good idea. The third thing that was very eye-opening was just, and it doesn't sound like a big deal, but it was huge, is the loss of time. Because I was supposed to teach, say, generically 8 to 11, well, the prisoners didn't walk in until 8.15 or 8.30, the way they came from their different block cells. So I lost time with movement. That might be 15, 20 minutes. If a CO came and got the prisoners early to take them to lunch, sometimes I lost anywhere from 10 to 30 minutes. Uh, I had times where I showed up to teach. Oops, sorry, no teaching today. Lost a whole three hours of teaching. Or just, oops, sorry, lockdown, you got to leave. Lose two hours here and there. So that was really difficult to figure out how to, am I going to lose time today? How fast do I teach? Slow do I teach? How long do I let discussions go? So that was a difficult juggling piece. But the fourth, which I found the most challenging, was many of these surprisingly prisoners had well over 30 credits, and they really were interested in the path to getting their degree, which I thought after I taught there, realized how fantastic this was. It's hard enough, like Dr. Pataro said, if you don't have a degree and then you don't have a degree on top of that, you're a felon, nobody wants to give you a chance. But this is a way to give prisoners a chance and also for them to think outside the box and realize there's a different way to live. But I wasn't allowed to give them any information from the community college I taught at or any information from other colleges. So that was really eye-opening because many of them were very interested in how do I get my associates and I want to turn that into a bachelor's. Many of them wanted to go into counseling. And so that I felt was kind of a little bit disheartening, even though I understood why the correctional facility did not want me to bring in information. So those were probably the four key challenging aspects when I taught in prison. Those are interesting, especially the loss of time is interesting because for those who have taught, even say high school, college, community college, and online as a faculty, you don't ever lose time. You walk into a class, you teach, you leave. Online, you never lose time. (laughs) And I would say I probably each class can expect to lose for that whatever duration, 25% of the time, which is a lot. I never, ever thought of that, teaching in the prisons, that one of the larger issues would be losing time. And I thought it was me, but I looked it up, and this is common, very common across the board just because of the situation. Yeah. Did you find that since you teach political science, was civility ever an issue? So civility is extraordinarily important to have in general, (laughs) and to learn in college, and especially in political science? I found, surprisingly enough, the prisoners kind of policed each other up. I've had a couple incidences, but I just said, you know what, I'm not going to tolerate it, because they were very much wanted to stay in the program. So it's almost like they knew the line, and they just didn't cross it. So I did not. And I always start off all my classes that I will talk about any subject you ever want to talk about, controversial, but we can't throw virtual bricks, is what I always say. We have to have a civil dialogue, and that's how you learn. So I, I don't want to say I lay down the law on that, but that's the best way to nip any, I don't want to say drama in the butt, but really nip it so that people can learn and get something out of the discussion. Excellent. And that's good to hear. Uh, one of the things we're constantly teaching everyone, and which in general, every country needs is a good, healthy dose of civility. 
So the next question is for Michael. What role, if any, does education serve in overcoming some of the challenges associated with prisoner uh, reintegration? Oh, many issues. Before I answer that one, I just wanted to expand a little bit on what Tiffany had mentioned that, you know, working in a prison is a different environment in the sense that, you know, it's all the challenges I mentioned earlier, but then there's also the security challenges of what you can bring in a classroom, certain items like a letter opener or something of that nature, that's all prohibited. And another thing that I think really compounds the issue is, and this kind of leads into my response, is that Corrections has done a great job. They've really done a 360 in their philosophy, the implementation of new programs, and really getting prisoners prepared to reenter society. But what hasn't caught up is society itself. So when you enter back into your communities, there's still the stigma that you've been incarcerated. So even though you have the education, there's still that stigma of whether or not they should hire you or not. So education is like one component to a larger type of system. So it definitely helps. There's no doubt about it. But we have to get employers on board with giving these individuals a second chance or a second opportunity to succeed back in the community. So that's part of the challenge there is trying to get the community's buy-in that these individuals need to get employed. They need to get decent jobs, something sustainable, or else they're going to go back and resort to what they know best. And that's something that we don't want to occur. So I think that's part of the challenge is that really, in my experience, the prisons are doing a great job, but it's getting the community not all communities, of course, but getting many of the communities on board with allowing these individuals to get back in, further their education, and then, of course, try to obtain and maintain a sustainable type of job. Tiffany had mentioned earlier about a lot of them want to get into counseling, but certain states, including my home state of Pennsylvania, there's issues with licensing and certification that someone with a felony would not be able to get that license. So that would then preclude them from becoming a licensed counselor. So there's some things that still need to be tweaked, I guess you could say. So it's a bigger problem, but corrections in general is, is on board with it and has done tremendous work in improving the system and preparing individuals. But some of the breakdown is that continuum into the communities where the communities aren't necessarily pitching in to help these individuals that are returning. And that's where I think we need to put most of our attention. And those are excellent comments. And when we think of what's the purpose of corrections is for if something happens, uh, somebody breaks the law, um, they serve their time and then they come out and they are reintegrated back into society. But if society doesn't accept them, as you said, it's extremely difficult for them to then thrive even if they want to. And so this leads me to Tiffany's question. What was eye-opening about teaching the prisons along with traditional programs, transitional programs back into society for prisoners? Thank you. I guess I would say that the biggest thing, and I'll get to it in a moment, is the transition. But initially, just like uh, Dr. Batar is talking about, we have to get past these horrible crimes some of these people have done. And unfortunately, many of them revolve around drugs and alcohol. But one thing I thought that was very interesting is is the prisoners, they crave this education. They want it. They were diligent about reading the chapters, asking questions. They wanted to be in class. And I thought it was kind of sad, but it, a positive thing in the same aspect is 
the students were not dumb by any means. They were probably the different classes I've had, the smartest kids collectively I've ever taught. They were very engaged and they very much wanted to be there. But this is where the transitional piece, we still have a long way to go. And I can tell you at the community college, I reflect back and I'm like, I know that this one, this one, this one was a felon and I currently have a felon in one of my classes. And you should have seen the eyes of my other students when this person shared that they were a felon. And I think to myself, they're coming to our neighborhoods and we have to do better on that transition. And I know a lot of the prisons that I have taught out of, they literally, when they're done with their time, they get a clear plastic bag with their belongings, a $40 debit card, and they're released. And there's no transition of how do you build a resume? What are some interview techniques? What should you wear? What should you not wear? And I reflect back at my time in the military, and they even have a transition program of when you leave and how do you transition and effectively find a job. And I believe we can do better. Like I said, you can say all you want, who cares? It doesn't affect me. But the irony is, is these people are coming to our neighborhood. They could be your neighbor. They could be the person stocking the shelf at your local grocery store. And our ultimate goal is we want them to be good citizens. We don't want them to revert back to a life of crime. And while a college degree might not be the saving answer, I'm a big proponent of knowledge is power. And if we can engage the brain and rehabilitate these prisoners, even if we only save a few, that makes our society that much better. And the irony is we're not even taking away from taxpayers' dollars. We're basically using money that's just sitting in a bank. So why not try and change people, try and help them? Because prison's about surviving. But if we can change their mindset, then we did our job. And like I said, they're coming back. So how do we make these transitional programs better so that they continue to be good citizens and not revert back? No, I completely agree. You say how as a society we can help protect the most vulnerable to me the most vulnerable oftentimes children so we have to protect children in in various ways but also the most vulnerable we could also include the prisoner population because we have to help those who are in need and although the prisoner population they are serving time because of something they did very true they have to they have to serve the time but if we don't help them and just like you said Those people in our community might just go back to prison because they're going to do something else again. And that doesn't help with budgets. That doesn't help with anything. If they go to prison, they get out, they recommit a crime, and they just go back into prison. So transitional programs are extremely important. So today we're talking to Tiffany Orchesi and Dr. Michael Pataro about teaching in the prisons. And we're going to take just a short break. The public service field offers satisfying ways to make a difference to people and their communities. At American Public University, you'll have the chance to learn great tools and strategies from highly experienced leaders, as well as develop the knowledge to create effective policies. Get the expertise you need to make changes to your community or even the world. Apply now at study at apu.com. And welcome back to today's podcast about teaching in the prison. So back with Dr. Michael Pataro, of all the educational programs, which you feel has had the most positive impact on preparing prisoners for community reentry, which program? Ooh, I think um, education in general is just like a giant umbrella. We focus a lot on programs that obviously focus on their GD or advancing to an associate degree. But I think on top of that, it's your basic social skills programs, how to 
like Tiffany had mentioned earlier, how to transition back into the community, how to interview for a job, what to wear to a job, how to explain that gap in your employment history due to incarceration. In my opinion, the thing that we've, we're starting to work on now, but it's recent, is the coping and resiliency skill building, dealing with frustration, dealing with rejection, disappointment, and how to overcome those challenges. I think that's important because that's a learned behavior. So they have to essentially learn self-control, learn how to deal with stress, socially appropriate ways of dealing with stress. And that, I think, is probably the most important because most individuals, when they feel overwhelmed, they give up. And that's what we don't want is them giving up, you know, and to educate them as far as realizing that you're going to go back into a society that isn't too forgiving. And there's going to be a lot of resentment. There is the stigma of being incarcerated. And you just have to be ready for that. And you got to basically prove them wrong by excelling once you get back into the community. I think that's important to constantly like remind them of that, that the reality of the situation is you're going back into a society that really isn't too sympathetic to the plight of your experience ending up incarcerated. And one thing we haven't really talked about yet is with female prisoners, everything is compounded further because you have a lot of them that have past sexual abuse, physical abuse, mental health, addiction. It makes for a very complex type of individual that when they enter back into society, they're dealing with multiple things that they have to work on for themselves. So it's just not education and skill building, but working on the addiction, trying to get some closure to some past trauma. So I think that we have to have it from multiple angles. I don't think there's a singular answer to that question. I think that it really requires that education encompasses anything that you can participate in that is intended to better you for when you re-enter into society. No, and great comments. And so I'm going to bring up my pop culture reference here, which is Orange is the New Black. <laughs> so first of all, how accurate do you think that is? And then when Piper, one of the main characters, goes back into society, she's very lucky that her family is rich. She's able to stay with her, I believe, her brother. Versus, say, other characters don't have that ability to have such a safety net instantly. So for either of you, accurate, not accurate, too much Hollywood? I would say it's very inaccurate. I think they glamorize prison and make it out to seem like it's something fun when there's nothing glamorous about the whole prison setting. The other piece of it is I will say if you do, and many of the prisoners would say, yes, you're lucky if you have family support when you're there, because I believe New York State, you make about 30 cents a day working in the prison. So most of them say I don't have any money to even just buy a hat or gloves, something extra for the winter time. And then when I leave, I have absolutely no money saved up. So all I am given is a $40 debit card, which barely covers a taxi. So it's the whole Orange is the New Black. While it's a, an amusing show to watch, I think it is so inaccurate of what's going on with many of the prisoners. And it's not reality of what is truly going on. I don't know what your thoughts are, Dr. Patara. I agree 100% with you. The show is intended to keep appealing to its audience. So, you know, it makes it a little bit more entertaining than the reality of what prison is like. 
And as far as having any type of wealthy contacts, that's another kind of anomaly. The large majority of your nation's prisoners are poor or come from a very low income type of family. Not to mention a strong support system of family and friends is really a great protective factor to staying clean and staying out of trouble. But the problem is a lot of these individuals may have burned bridges along the way. And so the friendships aren't friendships in a traditional sense that we would look at friendships. It's like everybody kind of serves a purpose in a sense. You know, I used to hang with you. I bought drugs from you. We get high together. So it's not like that true, genuine friendship that you would think of. And then with family, it's the constant lies, betrayal, manipulation. So family and friends, it's hard to kind of repair that network that in most cases, the offender actually kind of severed those relationships. So I think that's a hard issue to consider that as well, is that when you reenter society, you're kind of on your own until you can prove yourself to everyone that once loved and trusted you. They may still love and trust you, obviously, but you got to prove yourself as far as regaining that trust back. And that's more difficult than most would imagine. No, that would be very difficult. Um, getting the trust, especially after whatever could have occurred serving your time and coming out, would take time, years. I would slowly regain that trust, and that would be such a challenge. And so for the last question, can you tell me how teaching the prisons has helped guide you with your teaching here at an American public university system. And uh, Tiffany, you can go and go first. I would say the biggest takeaway I took from teaching in prison is just, I guess, a dose of compassion and trying to give people the benefit of the doubt at times. And so I would say at APU and AMU, many of the students are first responders. Many of them are military. Many of them are working parents, they have a job, they have a family, and now they're trying to juggle school. And I really commend a lot of them. But sometimes they need graces with kids getting sick, or I just had a student had his tonsils removed as an adult and ended up in the hospital with some complications. And so sometimes people need graces. And I think that's the biggest lesson takeaway I took from prison, and I apply it to APU of you know, sometimes we all need a break and need help. And can I turn something in a day late? And yes, I will work with you and we will make sure that you can accomplish your tasks and make sure you have a successful experience at APU. Yeah, definitely. I agree 100% with Tiffany on that. I'm going to kind of take a different twist on it. And that compassion is also relaying that passion or compassion to my students you know, sometimes with criminal justice students, they kind of look at things a little bit more black and white, a little bit more hardcore, a little bit more punitive. So to get in there and kind of explain how crime kind of evolves and how a person ends up in the system, that to me is an important part of it so that they can understand that sometimes they're pushed into this lifestyle from their upbringing and so trying to understand where people are coming from and realize they made mistakes, but no one necessarily at age five says that they want to become a criminal when they grow up. So it's true, you know, and I think getting them out of that headset that, you know, everybody wants to do this because of what they see on TV and what's glamorized as the crime life. And that's not true. So that's part of the compassion. I think the other thing is, for me, with criminal justice students, is I could tell stories, and I've been there, done that. 
And I really think that adds to the classroom because if you have someone who hasn't necessarily worked in that profession, it could be a little bit more difficult. So I was able to say, yeah, I worked in corrections. That's why I'm the one that teaches corrections. And this is what really happens. This is what the author of the book has said, but this is the reality of the situation. So I think that lends itself to a better learning environment because I can step outside of the book and I can delve into some of these topics a little bit deeper than your traditional authors would go into. Excellent. And what you said, I think, is a good summation of everything. No five-year-old intends to become a criminal. It's true, though. I think it's naive thinking that you know a lot of people want to do this. But when you look at some of their horrific upbringing or just the their parents and their learned behaviors, you can kind of see why they ended up where they did. But nobody wants to stay that way. You know, everybody wants to change, but they just don't know how to. And I would agree with that. I think, especially if you come from middle-class America, some of the conditions, some of my students in prison that talk about growing up in, they're not even fathomable. Like you think, I thought that was just on TV. Like nobody grows up like that with those type of conditions. And unfortunately for so many of the prisoners, that is everyday life of what they're used to. And and it's hard to wrap your head around. No, it's true. I would also throw in the need for compassion, empathy, and uh, solid ethics from every aspect of prisoners and how to approach prisoners. Because as a society, if we don't treat this as a important issue to fix, there will always be a certain population that is repeat offenders forever. But the vast majority of people do not have to do that. And so it's extraordinarily important for Tiffany to jump on political science to go from just sound bites about being tough on crime to really helping people get away from that crime lifestyle. Uh, so Tiffany and uh, Michael, do you have any final thoughts? No, sir. No, I think I'm good. I think we covered everything. I think the final thought, if anything, was is just continue on these transition programs to help people become good citizens and not revert back is really my takeaway. And I would add to that, we've made great progress with the passage of the Criminal Justice Reform Act, but it's called the First Step Act. So that means it's first in many. So hopefully we continue on this trend with bipartisan support to really address a lot of these inequities within the criminal justice system, including our prisons. So we're on the right path. I just hope we continue with that momentum. No, I agree. And um, again, the different populations we have to help Children, of course, <laughs> always number one, but number two, to have a, a society that functions and grows, we have to help prisoners. And it's not to say that uh, they shouldn't serve their time, they need to, but if we don't help them, it will not solve any of the problems that exist. And so I'd like to thank uh, Tiffany Orcheski and Dr. Michael Pitaro today for having a great conversation about teaching in the prisons. My name is Dr. Bjorn Mercer, and you are listening to The Everyday Scholar here at American Public University System. For more information about our university, visit us at study at APU.com. APU, American Public University.